So, last night, I watched the newest episode of Tales from the Territories on Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling, or Polynesian Pro Wrestling. Um, basically, the first way I said it, Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling, it was its actual name. And it was based out of Hawaii. And to say that this episode was actually better... Uh, than last week, and I'm sure everybody that's going to talk about it, even Salamonster, would agree that it was actually a lot more interesting and better than last week's. Uh, that would be, as the old saying goes, an understatement because it was more interesting uh, than we thought. Uh, first of all, uh, basically, first of all, um, they they touched upon the fact that um, the NWA, of course, was you know, part of Polynesian Pro Wrestling, basically because it's a territory. And they decided to locate it in Hawaii because it would be a good, you know, drop-off point when you're traveling between the U.S. and Japan and you need a stop-off, and you basically need a drop-off area to re relax, refuel, maybe, you know, spend the night somewhere before you get back on the plane. So they decided that that would be the best place to do a wrestling promotion and, you know, for a time, they were correct. They were actually correct on that. And the uh, the story itself was actually good. And they had some interesting talking heads here. Uh, they had uh, Kevin Sullivan, who, you know, had not only competed in Florida and knows most, notable, most notably, I should say, in places like WCW, ECW, and so on. <laughs> As well as I think even Impact Wrestling, uh, but basically uh, he also competed, like I said, territorial-wise with with Florida and and in the Carolinas, but mostly in Hawaii. And that's kind of how I think a lot of us knew him. You know, when we first saw him or heard about him, like you know, isn't this this guy that works more of the island circuit, like Florida, you know? Hawaii, stuff like that. I think that's kind of how we started to first, you know, recognize who he was. Anyway, they had him. They had Bruno Laurie, or basically Harvey Whippleman, if you will, downtown Bruno. Um, they had uh, Laws Anderson. Um, if you're an old school AWA guy and NWA guy, you know who Lars is, and they had um, Rocky Iakea, who was, you know, Curtis Iakea's, um, I think his son or his grandson or something, but no, his son, it was his son, they had Curtis Iakea's son on there, and like I said, this episode was actually pretty good because they talked about the, you know, the formation of Polynesian, Pro, po Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling, you know, how it came about, you know, how High Chief Peter Maivia was the star, was the was basically the focal point at times of, you know, of that promotion. You know, how they, you know, talked about it, how they talked about that they had, you know, certain stars that, of course, we would see later on WWE competing there as their top stars, like, Sifa, like Sifa Alpha, Alpha, or the, or the Sika Alpha, whatever his name is, can't think of it right now, 
who is basically the top champion, one of the top faces. And, you know, they talked about the fact that, you know, Curtis Ikea, who, if you don't know who he is, uh, just look up WWE in the early to mid-80s, as well as WCW early, you know, early to mid-90s. And you'll see exactly who uh, Ikea is, or you might recognize him, because Ikea... Uh, well, as far as, you know, any of us that knew him from WWE days, WWF days of the 80s, was the Wizard. He wasn't the Grand Wizard, but he was the Wizard. He was basically, along with uh, Kimchi, the manager of Kamala during Kamala's, one of Kamala's initial first runs uh, in the company. You know, he was the manager there, you know, for him. And then, of course, later on in WCW, you would know him as the master, the one that would call upon Kevin Sullivan and calling him his son, thus creating the formation of the Dungeon of Doom. So you would know him, excuse me, you would know him from those, you know, moments in wrestling, but his real name was Curtis, you know, King Iakea. So anyway... Like I said, they they told some great stories here. Some that we may have heard of, some we may, may have not heard of. Uh, you know, speaking of Iakea, they talk about the fact that he uh, was in a feud uh, with this um, uh, with this one wrestler called Nafi. I think his name was Nafi or something. Uh, Nafi or something like that. And Nafi was basically the face and Ikea was uh Ikea was um the you know the heel of course and Davi was a Samoan and Ikea was a um you know Curtis Ikea was you know he was um Polynesian you know a heel from Hawaii so he cut this promo right he cut this promo which really incensed every you know, every, you know, Samoan fan, you know, in every sense of the word. It's it basically insulted them. So, what happened is he's having this match. And the one thing we found out about Rocky, from Rocky Ikea, Curtis's son, is King Ikea, King, King Ikea loved violence. He loved the hardcore style. Which is why when you would see him... Um, as the wizard back in the WWF days, you know, managing Kamala, he always had these scars on his head. Or you would see him as the master, even though he was painted up with all this white powder and everything, you see the little scars. That's all because he loved the hardcore style. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't no chic, we'll put it that way, but he loved violence. You know, he loved violence. And there was one time... He had this match with this guy, this Nafi guy, this Samoan guy, and he basically uh, was set up in the corner to be hit with this guy's splash. Basically, the guy set him up back first on the, you know, over the back facing, you know, on the, the Nafi, the Samoan uh, baby face. You know, Ikea was like, you know, this way, and it's backwards, you know, facing, you know, the baby face. And what happened is as soon as uh, Nafia or Nafa, you know, came running at him for the finish, Ikea pulled back, back uh, from that, pulled the turnbuckle off, and I, and uh, the babyface, 
uh, the, the Samoan babyface, hit his head. Now, if he had hit his head to the point that it gushed him out the hard way, if you will, to the point that it splatted all over the blood. I don't know if they were Rocky, Rocky Akil was uh, exaggerating this or not, but basically, when uh, the babyface uh, hit the turnbuckle, you know the Samoan babyface Sophia uh, hit you know hit the turnbuckle you know face head first. The, not only did he get busted open, I think I'm assuming the hard way, but blood poured out to the point that it hit a lot of the Samoans in the face. And that was pretty much enough for them being like, okay, you know, this Ikea guy's got to go. He's dead meat. And basically, it caused a riot. It caused a riot to the point that it took a while before the, the, ring, bo the ring bell boy could go, could go over, you know, and ring the bell. Which would signal Peter Maivia and the baby faces to come out. And, you know, and clear the ring, get things settled down. And Maivia had to say something because, you know, he was Samoan. He had to say something in Samoan. And he basically said, look, we don't need your help. We appreciate it, but we don't need it. We got this handled. And when he spoke, basically that was enough for them, you know, to calm down. That being the fans, being the audience and all that. But what happened, unfortunately, is somebody grabbed a piece of cement, or I'm guessing a piece of brick or something like that, and threw it. And what it did is it hit one of the young officers who was assigned to be there, uh, by Rocky Ikea's grandfather, it hit one of the young officers in the head. I'm assuming it didn't kill him, but it did hospitalize him. And that was like, and, and, to, and to hear that, you know, it really shows you, not just from what we've heard in previous episodes, uh, you know, and everything, but even now, still it shows you how protective kayfabe was for the wrestlers and the fans. Like how, you know, how secretive this had to be kept so that fans wouldn't be clued in on, oh, they're just acting, they're, you know, the, athlete, the athletes that act, you know. They wouldn't be clued in on that. So, you know, so that was one interesting story that got my attention. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's pretty interesting. And but then they talk about a story between Billy Robinson. And I'm sure we, some of us have heard about Billy Robinson. I know I have. You know, not as much, but I have heard the name. And uh, Peter my and uh, Peter Maivia. And they were at, they were, I think they were out to lunch or dinner. And what happened is that, you know, as they're eating, Maivia, he's eating with his fingers. You know, he's eating with his hands and all that because, you know, that's how he likes, that's how he likes to eat. Makes it feel more comfortable. But also, maybe from a kayfabe sense, you know, it keeps in character. Um, just assuming. But what happened, because, you know, Billy was with him, Billy holds up a fork. And this is according to the dramatization from what one of them was saying. Billy held up a fork and said, why, why don't you use a fork? Why are you using your hands like a heathen? And the moment he said that word, he called Mavia, he said that to Mavia, that sent him off. And not only did he start beating the hell out of Billy Robinson and rip his eyeball out from what they said, he 
in addition, threw him out the window of the restaurant. Now, obviously, Robinson got his eye put back in, but if you've watched and followed Billy Robinson, the wrestler, you would always notice he had a crooked eye, and they showed that. You know, and they explained that's why he's always had the crooked eye, thanks to Peter Maivia. Excuse me, I had to get some coffee. But they explained that's how he got the, you know, the crooked eye. Now, they did, now they did talk about Maivia passing in '82 uh, uh, due to cancer, and because of that, his wife Leah Maivia took over. And by doing so, she historically made two things happen. She became not only the first female promoter in, a rest, in an all-men's-run wrestling business, you know, industry, if you will, but she also became the first of, of color, the first woman of color to do so. And she, and to say that she understood the business to extents and learning along the way would be, again, as the old saying goes, an understatement. Because she did what she she did the best she could, probably better than anybody anticipated her to do. Um, you know, they talk about the fact that you know that she brought in Laws Anderson, you know, to help her with the the booking and everything, but you know, getting everything organized, getting the talent in, and all that. And what and basically, what happened is they decide. You know, they decide, okay, we're going to put on a big show. Because what's going on is Polynesian Pro Wrestling's getting a lot of, you know, attention. You know, even though it's a part of the NWA, it's getting a lot of attention from outside sources. You know, basically, you know, mainland sources like, you know, WWE, NWA, you name it. It was getting a lot of attention. And... You know, basically, they decided to put on this show. Now, before I talk about that, there is one of the stories they talked about um, uh, as well, and that was with Kevin Sullivan. Like I mentioned, Kevin Sullivan was always mostly known for working these areas before he really got, you know, the notoriety he deserved. You know, when it went to when it came to WCW and the NWA and you know ECW and all that. You know, he'd be going back and forth and stuff. You know, for these uh, territorial places like Florida and Hawaii and all that. Anyway, what happened is that Kevin, you know, gets booked to go compete in Polynesian Pro Wrestling. And he's booked to basically win the championship. He's booked to beat Sifa Alpha, Alpha uh, for the championship. Uh, Sika Alpha for the championship. But Kevin notices as he's riding along, he sees all these different, you know, Samoans and Polynesians, you know, working on the road, they're drinking this, as he calls it, um, LSD, psychedelic-like drink, the kava, as they call it, I think they, they call it the kava. And he notices that as soon as he goes out to that ring, you know, he realizes, hey, if I go through with this original plan to beat uh, Alpha, Sika Alpha, you know, I'm not going to get out of here alive, because Sika was over. He even compared him to the fact that he was as over as Jimmy Snuka was when he first started on the mainland for WWE. So, Sullivan's like, man, if I do this, I'm dead meat. So,
So what does Sullivan do? As soon as the bell rings, you know, he grabs, you know, Sika, pulls him down on top of him while he's laying on the map. He tells the referee, count to three or I'll effing kill you. The referee counts three. Sullivan gets the hell out of the ring. And Leah Mavia and, you know, Sika are wondering, what the hell is that? That and everything. And even Mavia's like, hey, go out there, do it again. And everything. Like, she's encouraging him. Hey, go out there, screw yourself over again or whatever, because I think she liked what she saw and saw the, you know, reaction it got. And Sullivan's like, nope, not going to do that. To, I'm not going to do that anymore tonight because he was afraid for his safety. He was afraid for his safety because, you know, of the fact that he knew if he would have won, you know, people, you know, not realizing that it's all an act, it's all a work and everything, still believing it's real, probably would have. You know, he was afraid he'd probably get his, you know, you know, his life taken from him. If you know what, if you see what I'm, if you see where I'm coming from. Anyway, uh, they get to another part of this episode where they talk about uh, Leo Maivia putting on this big, um, huge wrestling event at Aloha Stadium called A Hot Summer Night, and it tr attracted the attention. Because, again, like I said, Polynesian Pro Wrestling was att att attracted the attention a lot of the mainland uh, promotions. So this was, so uh, basically seeing the publicity they were getting, Leo Maivia decides to put this, you know, all-star event, you know, uh, all-star event of wrestling, you know, um, basically she, she decides to put it on, if you will. That's the word I was looking for. She decides to go, go and put this together put it on, she gets in contact with all the promoters that are interested, or finding interest, or getting, you know, getting some, um, you know, I, I, what's the word, I'm getting some flyers, I guess you could say, some information of the notoriety Polynesian Pro Wrestling's having. So, she gets in contact with all of them, from WWF, to, you know, NWA, to WCC, Japan, Mexico, she gets the town in there for this event right, this hot summer night event, and you got talents like Andre in there, Kevin Sullivan, you know, you have, uh, I, I think they showed Giant Baba in there, you basically had a very interpromotional feel to it, long before even, I think, you know, CWA, WCCW, and AWA did Super Clash 3, you had this, you know, mix of, you know, talent from different promotions, or aligned with different promotions, Fighting each other, you know, in, into promotional, into promotional like matchups for Polynesian pro wrestling. But here was the issue, though. Here was the issue, though. According to Lars Anderson, you know, even though they put this event on, there was a, a catch. There was a catch, and that was from Jim Crockett. And Crockett basically said, "Look, our guys can compete, no problem." But if you film them competing, if you even record or film them competing, you know, that's it. You know, you know, we're out of here. In other words, from what Lars Anderson was, was uh, saying, is that had they attempted to film, let's say, the world title match between Ric Flair and Sifa Alpha, Sifa Alka, if you will, that, and I think, I don't know if they alluded to the fact that 
Sifa was going to win the championship, you know, because it, of course it was Hawaii's Polynesian Pro Wrestling or something. I'm not really sure. But anyway, anyway, uh, basically, they say, uh, basically what, what Laws Anderson said was, you know, they could not, they could not film according to Crockett, because Crockett said, you do, you film our talent, we're out of here, the moment you do that, because they were going to broadcast it over satellite for everybody to see, right? And Crockett's like, look, our guys can compete, but they can't be filmed, because if they do, we're gone. So, basically, Lars Anderson said that because of that agreement, they have no footage. They have no footage of Ric Flair and Sifa Alpha, or any of the NWA slash WCW stars at that time that had competed on that event alongside stars of WWE, AWA, Japan, Mexico, you name it. You know, so they don't... So even though those matches happened, and people that were in attendance that night know they happened, you know, basically Jim Crockett was like, you can't show it. You can't show it. So... So anyway, despite that, the event turned out to be a success. They sold 2,200 tickets. Oh, not 2,200 tickets. That, that, that would be very low. 22,000 uh, tickets to the event for people to watch and see. And, you know, they followed it up the following year. But unfortunately, the attendance went down by 3,000, if not more. And the reason it went down, basically is because of what happened later on. Now, the other stories they did talk about here is Laws Anderson was, you know, attacked by um, two stock, two, two people that were part of the stockholders uh, that had, you know, investments in Polynesian Pro Wrestling. Well, at least one of them, anyway. And they were trying to basically beat him down, beat him to death, or beat him down to the point that it Going to laws, they threatened to throw him in the ocean and thus kill him to get him out of the way because they wanted basically a piece, a major piece of Polynesian pro wrestling. And it was all because of the fact that going to laws, he was selling tapes. He was selling tapes of Polynesian pro wrestling um, outside of, you know, uh, the company. And the investors felt like, well, if he could do it, we could do it. And that's what led to what happened to him outside of a, a restaurant or outside of a bar, you know, excuse me, where they were drinking. And Laws admits it, look, I had, I had a little too much. So he was basically walking out to get some, I think, fresh air to kind of get himself sober. And that's when he got attacked. He says he can't remember any much after that. But he does recall, because I guess the lady that, the ticket lady there that saw what was happening and called the police you know, went out there and pried his tongue, because he got beat, he was getting beaten down so badly, his tongue went into his mouth and started to gag him, so she had to get a spoon, according to Laws Anderson, and basically, um, you know, pry his tongue loose, so he could, you know, so he could breathe and stuff. Anyway, anyway, after that, like I said, things started to kind of, you know, trickle down heel a little bit, uh, for, you know, for Laws and for Leah. Because one of their uh, color commentators, uh, I can't pronounce, I can't think of his name, it was like, what was it? Uh, Daniel Wakamani or something like that? I can't think of his name right now. But one of the uh, 
uh, close co comrades in Polynesian Pro Wrestling, the color commentator, started to decide, okay, I want to I want to break off and do my own thing. So he decides he's going to break off, do his own thing, by booking shows outside of Polynesian Pro Wrestling. And Lars Anderson and Leah find out about this, and Lars is like, look, we have no problem if you do that, and you want to use our guys, but you have to pay a booking fee if you're going to use our talent. You know, and uh, welcome, and uh, the color commentator, he didn't want to do it, apparently. And what happened is that Leah, according to Lars Anderson, had one of the referees call up the color commentator and threaten that if he goes through with this or he doesn't pay the booking fee, you know, they're going to go after his son and cut off his son's balls. And I was like, holy, it's like, whoa, you know, the, you know, the Samoans, <laughs> let's be honest, the Polynesians and Samoans, they, they took this very seriously, just like anybody else in the territorial days. But to take it that far, it's like, whoa. So what happened is the color commentator, you know, scared and spooked by the threat, contacts the police and thus the FBI, who wires him so that when he goes and meets with Leah and Laws to do the payment for booking fees to get the talent he needs for his show, that the moment Leah and Laws walk out, that's when they're greeted by the FBI drawing guns at them and they're arrested and put in jail for at least two days and then after that they get 13 weeks of trial. They get 13 weeks of trial and they had several people come to the stand to, I guess, you know, say their piece and everything. You know, come say their piece. And Bob... Bob Geigel, who was the head of the NWA, you know, he was the one that basically saved them from probably spending a lifetime or at least many years in prison by saying, look, this is what a booking fee is, you know, is when it comes to pro wrestling. And that was enough for the court to be like, okay, you know, there's no, no reason to continue dragging us on. Anderson Maivia, you are found not guilty. And it was all thanks to, like I said, Bob Geigel explaining what a booking fee was because the people, you know, of law enforcement, like the FBI and the courts and all that, had no idea what a booking fee was when it came to, you know, uh, sports or sp sports entertainment like pro professional wrestling. So... You know, they were, so basically they were found not guilty, however, and they talked about this, and they felt that it was not fair at all, that even though she was found not guilty, she was still punished, that being Leah Maivia, because she ended up being deported back to Samoa. Even though she was not found guilty, according to them, the courts were angry that they couldn't find nothing against her, you know, because they kind of looked down upon, you know, the practices of wrestling, even though they didn't know much about it, they still looked down upon it. So, you know, even though they couldn't find her guilty of anything, they decided, okay, let's deport her, you know, as an alternate punishment. Like, yeah, we're going to punish her, but not, you know, but, but we're not going to punish her. You know, we're going to find her guilty, but not guilty. It, it, it basically was, com it was basically like, an, it, it just did not make any sense. Even, with, even when I watched it, I was like, you know, in my mind, I was like, what sense does that make to send this lady away if, you know, she's found not to have done anything wrong? 
you know, and again, according to what they said, it's because basically she, um, you know, she basically, you know, it's basically because she was running a business that they looked down upon. You know, that's about it. That's about it. You know, she she was running a business they looked down upon because they couldn't understand it. That's basically what it is. Anyway, anyway, they, they continue to kind of thrive a little bit. And out of the ashes, they talk about Curtis Ikea again. And they talk, I don't know if this is before he got into wrestling or it was just a back and forth deal he would do. But he used to sell... Uh, beach equipment like surfboards, stuff like that, on the beach, you know, on the beachfront and everything. And the hotels were not happy about it because they were not getting a piece of the profit. But there were also other people that were upset about it because they're like, "Well, well, why, why is this guy able to do this and we can't? It should be, you know, up for bids, you know, being able to, you know, put, you know, establish like a little side business on the beach or the beachfront." So what happened is Curtis Ikea um, basically know you know every day he would get issued a ticket and everything he would get issued a ticket he would get issued a ticket and everything because he wasn't supposed to be doing what he was doing even though he was trying to make a living and he wasn't doing anything really har harmful if you will so what happens is uh, Rocky Ikea's grandfather contacts the news because his grandfather's a former policeman, contacts the news, gets a news camera guy to come out, hide in the bushes, you know, because they know, you know, the police are coming on a certain day to come, you know, talk to uh, Curtis Ikea. So the police come and they say, look, we're not going to arrest you, but we're going to confiscate, confiscate uh, your, or confiscate, that's easy for me to say, confiscate uh, your stuff so you don't have anything to do business with. So what happens is Ikea, knowing that the camera person is there hiding, filming all this, you know, is like, okay, fine. But, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I got to act like I'm protecting my stuff. Like, I know they're not going to arrest me. They're going to try to confiscate my stuff, but I got to try to protect it. got to fight for it. So what he does is he basically, you know, towards the end of the struggle or, you know, I say that with quotation, struggle, he decides to basically go down to uh, where some shark fins are, or at least swimmable shark fins, if you will, and bash his head on purpose on a corner of the crate and start gushing out blood, you know, right in front of the police officers. And then that's when the camera person comes in and the police officers, according to Rocky, are like, where the hell did this cameraman come from, you know? Anyway, as a result, Ikea was able to maintain his spot there um, on the beach even to the, even to the day he died. So he was, even after wrestling, he still was able to remain there and do his thing. You know, whatever that was. He was selling beach equipment or what, surfing equipment, whatever. Anyway, you know, anyway, they, they also told stories about The Rock. Uh, Bruno Harvey, if you will, had a story where... You know, Rocky Rocky Johnson asked, you know, him if uh, Dwayne could stay with him for, you know, a while. Well, you know, of course, he was wrestling in the territory. So, what happens is Dwayne, 
he's at 14, 16 years old, him and Harvey are walking through the Broadway section of Nashville, and Dwayne sees this, uh, well, not to see this car, but what happens is, you know, a couple of drugged out guys, that's how he described him, that's how Bruno described him, uh, approached him and Rock and said, hey, look, I'll sell you this car for $400, and Bruno's like, now nah, we don't have to do that. But then Rock, Dwayne's like, hey, you know, you got to give me that car, man. got to give me that car. And Bruno's like, but you don't have 400 bucks on you. You don't have the money on you, Rock. And he's like, well, you do. He basically plays the Bruno saying, you do. So Bruno's like, okay, look, I have 40. It's all I have right now. Will that be suffice? And the guy's like, sure. Going to Bruno, the guy's like, hey, that's good enough for me. So they buy, they buy the car. He gets the keys. Rock's driving it, and they're not even three blocks away from, you know, the, where they purchased it. Rock stops. Bruno thinks, oh, great, the car already sputtered out, right? Nope. R Bruno walks over and sees that Rock is arguing with somebody, and it turns out to be one of the other drugged-out, you know, homeless people that was sleeping in the back of the car. He was basically underneath all this paper and garbage, and Bruno and Rock have to be like, Going to Bruno, they're telling him, hey, we just bought this car for your friend. And according to Bruno, the, the drugged up, alcohol, the, yeah, the drugged up, buzzed up guy, you know, gets out of the car and I'm like, oh, I apologize, man, I'm sorry, you know that. But as soon as they get to the hotel where they were staying, and Rocky Johnson sees this, and Rock's showing off to his dad, look at this car he got me. And Rocky Johnson, according to Bruno, is like, that ain't a car, that's a piece of shit. But for Bruno, he went like, he, he decided to do the TV thing, the censor thing, and go like, that's a piece of bleep, you know. But that's essentially what Rocky Johnson described the car that his son got, uh, Bruno got from his son, that this ain't a piece, this ain't a car, this is a piece of shit. And what happened is the car stopped running after that, and they had to tow it away from the hotel. <laughs> and Bruno just looks back at that story and realizes, man, the guy I bought this car for now is basically at the top of our profession and the number one movie star in the, in the country. It's like, that's unreal. And then, he, of course, he talks about a story, you know, I don't, I don't know if it was recent before they had this meetup or something, but he talks about uh, the story, as if it was recent, where he, you know, he's talking to Rocky about Polynesian Pro Wrestling, and Rock's like, well, it's, it's just too bad there's no more t-shirts like that. So what happens is... Harvey, uh, Bruno Harvey's like, well, I still have one of those. So he digs around, finds it. It's all tattered and dirty. It used to be blue, but now it's kind of like worn down to like yellow or goldish brown, yellow, whatever. So what happens is he sends it to Rock, and Rock sends him a video message, and we see the image of it. Well, Rock's like, hey, man, look what I just put up on, I just framed and put up in my office, you know, at home. And it's the Polynesian Pro Pacific Pro Wrestling shirt. Uh, that Harvey had. Um, anyway, though, anyway, though, the, the story was, but anyway, though, the, the episode I should say was, uh, in the end, actually pretty good. It was actually a lot better uh, than, than expected. Um, and, you know, I'm hoping we get more, I'm, ho I'm hoping that the, we'll get more episodes out, you know, like this uh, in, you know, in the weeks to come. I really do, but this one was really interesting. It was really intriguing to find out the history, you know, with 
the Maivia family, you know, how, you know, they were, they, they ran their own promotion within the NWA, Polynesian Pacific Pro Wrestling. You know, love the fact that basically they described it as essentially being, you know, the hardcore territory of NWA professional wrestling, of wrestling period, because of the fact that, um, you know, you had to be hardcore and violent to be in that kind of environment. But, you know, I love the story. I love the fact that they pointed out that just like with any country now, even nowadays, that if you're from, you know, a different part of the world, even if you're within that same section, like Hawaii is a part of the United States, right? It's one of the 50 states. But if you're a mainland American, you'll look at it as a foreigner, or you will look at it as a foreigner, a bad guy. So I like the fact that they described the, the you know, not described, but they talked about the fact that when even the mainland Americans would come in to one of the fellow states, you know, on the outland, which was Hawaii, they'd be looked at as bad guys, as heels, while the Samoans, Hawaiians, and Polynesians were looked at as the baby faces. You know, and Tongans were looked at as the baby faces. So I liked how they talked about that, because again, that's something you kind of see today. Like if Americans go to Canada, you know, the Americans there will get booed, but the Canadians will get cheered, even if they're heels. So... So I like the fact that they touched upon, you know, that as well, kind of letting us know that, hey, this kind of stuff where you have bizarro world-like kind of atmosphere, you know, even occurred back then and not just, you know, in the past 20-something years if, if you, or 30 years if you, you know, kind of see where I'm coming, kind of understand where I'm coming from, kind of see and understand where I'm coming from, that is. But... Again, overall, in closing, I thought it was a good episode. I learned a lot more uh, about a lot. I learned a lot more about you know, you know this this uh, this territory that you know not a lot of us heard about, but I'm sure some of us did see, you know, when we were younger. So I, I enjoyed it immensely. I uh, love the focus on. I love the fact that they put the focus not just on the company itself, but in the territory itself, but on Liam Ivia in the historical you know, run she had, you know, as a promoter, the first female promoter, that is. And, um, again, I can't wait to see what other episodes, you know, they have in store for us. I know that next week, and Brian Zane, I know he's looking forward to this, they're going to talk about Portland wrestling. That's right, they're going to talk about Portland. It's called Portland, where wrestling got weird. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the title. You know, that's the title. But, yeah, I like this one. Uh, it's called, the title of this episode, though, was called Polynesian Wrestling Island Dynasty. I liked it, and I highly recommend you guys check it out yourselves. So, until next time, guys, I will talk to you all later. Comment below, live chat during the premiere. You know, hit the, you know, subscribe and bell, and bell buttons for notifications to when I have new content coming out. Also, check me out at BW Royce's Discussions, all your favorite audio podcast locations except for Pandora, where you will also get an audio version of this, you know, very review, this very episode. Also, check me out at uh, Venmo at Brian-Wama-2, Cash App at BW Royce's 98, to help me out financially there right away. Also, check me out at Patreon.com, so that's BW Royce's, with a $1 or $3 tier and a possible $5 Q&A tier in the near future. Also check out my Teespring store for merchandise you can't get anywhere else. Got some new merch in there. Check that out. Uh, I think you will enjoy it. Also, check out my DeviantArt page at BVW1979. Check out Vimo at BW Roses for content you can't get here on YouTube. 
And, you know, that's really about it. I mean, that's really about it, guys. Again, like the video, hit the subscribe and bell notification button uh, to find out when new content comes out. Live chat during the premiere, comment below what are your thoughts on this uh, episode and everything. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you do. And until next time, guys, I am out. I will talk to you all later.